So we need to work on our inner space so this external environment we live in is more peaceful and more harmonious and has more compassion and creates more vitality for everyone. Welcome to Beyond Unstoppable, the podcast that explores the intersection of biology, psychology, and technology. Here is your host, Ben Angel. Today, I'm thrilled to bring you a conversation that will unlock the power of your mind. We have the privilege of diving deep into the world of brainwave optimization with acclaimed expert, Dr. Patrick Porter. In our discussion, Dr. Porter takes us on a journey of discovery. He shares incredible insights on how brain frequencies can elevate our study skills and bring forth a profound state of calmness. We go beyond the surface of social media and delve into the captivating world of artificial intelligence. Dr. Porter illuminates the potential benefits and dangers of AI pushing us to expand our knowledge and adopt fresh perspectives to comprehend its impact on industries like health. And if you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review. Your support means the world to us and helps us reach more listeners who are ready to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Ben Angel's new book, The Wolf is at the Door, How to Survive and Thrive in an AI-Driven World, presented by Entrepreneur. Get an exclusive sneak peek and pre-order at thewolfbookhub.com. Dr. Porter, it is awesome to actually speak with you again. I believe we met back in 2018 at a biohacking conference. I think it was in LA. Yep. Yep. I've been following your work for quite a while now. And in fact, through my book, Unstoppable, and my journey into biohacking, your work specifically led me to the frequencies of the brain. One thing I've always found as an author is that writing is self-hypnosis. So I do whatever I can to get into that hypnotized state or theta state before I sit down to write. But before we dive into how brain frequency is essential through adaptability, I would just love to know your thoughts on how did you initially dive into this space? Well, my dad was a Silva instructor, the Silva method. And so we learned about alpha. We didn't learn about the other brain waves, really. We learned about, of course, sleep. and But alpha was the one my dad trained us on. So from an early age, actually, since I was 12, I've been practicing different meditation techniques. And that led us to learning about neurolinguistic programming, hypnosis, positive psychology. And then when I got a job with Light and Sound Research, we up the game by going from just sound frequencies to light frequencies. And so we combine those light and sound frequencies and we're just continue to move on. I mean, our latest generation includes Sophigio frequencies as well as Noget frequencies. So we're always trying to add in what we can stack into that headset that will still have a net positive effect on the result, not just adding something in to add it in, but when we measure it in the lab, does it actually amplify the entrainment process. So I've been doing that. I, I still feel like I don't have a job. I'm just playing and I get to do what I've been doing since I helped my dad with those seminars. So you started when you were 12 years old. So he was teaching you how to apply those frequencies at that age. Was that to help with study or calmness? What was the outcome? Yeah. Silva had a weird sound that we didn't realize at the time would be now called an isochronic tone because you could play it in a room and it would actually the brain would hear this weird sound and that Silva created or he got it somewhere. I'm not sure how the origin story of that, but it would put your brain into a state of alpha, 10 hertz. So we used it 
primarily I used it for sports at first because that was my motivation. I didn't realize that the brain was going to generalize that result into my classwork. And I became an honor roll student at the same time, not really thinking that it was going to help my grades, but I knew it was going to help me in baseball and then eventually into football and track and wrestling, all the other sports I played. So how important do you think it is for people to understand brain frequencies? Because I'm speaking with a lot of 20-year-olds lately who are completely stressed out of their mind. They see artificial intelligence coming down the pipeline. They're in a hypervigilant state, worried if what they're studying or working on right now is even going to exist in a few years. How does managing our brain frequencies help us to adapt? Yeah, and I think they should be a little worried because we're finding that it is that AI right now has some pretty good skill sets that help that I think augment our intelligence. So I don't think being hypervigilant is going to help the situation, but that's kind of the default mode for our uh, neurophysiology. We first go into how is this going to affect me? And I think that for those experts out there in the field, like I love using like Otter AI to take my notes and then putting it into ChatGP and letting it edit it for me because it's very good at English. I mean, then I get it to my assistant. And I think the problem is a lot of people think AI is smart. AI isn't smart or dumb, it's simply managing information. And so you still have to have your expertise to make it sound right. I mean, when I first started playing with it, it was referencing research that we had never done, but somehow it created. So it's not exactly true what it's saying. I think what most people don't understand is that if you're a creative person, I don't think you ever have to worry about AI. AI isn't creative and it could be creative at some point. I mean, I'm not saying it might not have that singularity effect that will happen, but I think for right now, uh, it still takes a human touch to ask the right questions, to prompt the right responses. And I think that what we're going to find, my kind of thought of the future is that we're going to have it doing all the offloading, all the work that is just redundant work. When using the example here of writing, Writing is really editing. I mean, you've got to get all your information out of your head onto paper. And then once you do that, then you've got to do your research. And I don't think AI can't really do that research for you unless you prompt it, which it's a really good research assistant. But just like a research assistant, you've got to go back and make sure that it's truthful. Yeah. And that's where the expertise of the individual comes in. But I think that the, the main reason we need to be concerned about brainwaves is that being overvigilant is going to cause them to be uh, basically replaced because AI doesn't get sympathetic. AI just simply functions. So when we get that fight or flight, and I think now's the time for people to look at our world is going to look much different 10 years from now than it does right now. I mean, we're looking at how it can help us to use brainwave entrainment. I mean, I've been in the research lab doing the interactive light and sound machine for the last 10 years. And I think AI is going to give us that missing piece that we needed to, because there's so many calculations and things that we need that I think it's going to solve that problem. But I've been told I'm an eternal optimist. Of course, we could have whatever the robots taken over the world or whatever, but I think we're still a little bit off from that. And I think that they're never going to have what, what humans have. So I think the main thing is look at what you're doing. If you're doing a job that is redundant, repetitive, then it might be time to start looking at the books and researching what could you do in the field of creativity involving consciousness. Because I don't think, even if we get singularity, like we see in the movies, 
consciousness where we're at, we have a 100 billion neuromet processor. Some would say we are AI. When we became conscious, we have this potential that still every neuron connection we have is more powerful than the most powerful computer on earth. So all we have to do is activate this. And that's where the brainwaves come in. And I think the biggest problem people have is like in the mornings, when you need that SMR brainwave where you're going to trigger the neuropronephrine, the cortisol, the dopamine to get you out of bed and get you moving in the morning, that's a different brainwave than we need at night when we're trying to downregulate, produce melatonin and, and get our deep sleep cycles going. Those are two different brainwave patterns. So I always tell people, one meditation doesn't solve the problems we have today. Even though there's more than that, we say there's three different meditation processes. There's one for the middle of the day that's a reboot meditation. There's one in the morning that's a wake-up meditation. There's one to go to sleep at night, which is a go-to-sleep meditation. And our brain frequencies actually control all those things. So when you're thinking about in terms of, if we're talking about activating these neural networks, if that's one of our competitive advantages, are we currently succeeding at that as a society? What are your thoughts on this? No, I think the main reason we're not is because people are being taken off course by emotion, by like fear, anxiety, and frustration. Fear is one way you can downregulate your nervous system because as soon as you get into fear, the body has to go into a not a proactive mode, but more of a reactionary mode. And so we go back to that default mode network and that primitive reflexes that we have. And our brain basically looks for survival. And so all other systems, those systems that we need, like for biohacking, when people look at biohacking and optimizing the nervous system, we're talking about an expanded state of consciousness, not a restricted state. So I think that right now, and it's really what we live in the best and the worst of times, right? As the old song goes, because we can look at the internet and we can look at all the adaptability that we have and everything that's so incredible. This is the most incredible time in our lives. Just using one example, back in the 1700s, we would have to be very rich and famous to have an orchestra playing for us. But each of us have a little phone in our hands where we can play those same music anytime we want. But some people will still choose to play music that is dysregulating their nervous system. When we could be using that 10 cycle music and really harmonizing our body, making our intelligence work better. And that's just one example. I mean, we can choose our environment now. And because we know we can choose our environment, we can choose our epigenetics. That's what really what biohacking is all about. So I think that uh, we're not using it to its full potential and mainly because money, the powers that be that control all the media whether good or bad, they're trying to sell you something. And we all need that. I mean, sales is important. We need to tell people about what's out there. And now they have it down to an algorithm. They know us so well that we can't change. They used to be we would be exposed to new and different things through school and education. Now it's more of an indoctrination, not an education. Nobody's learning how to think. They're learning what to think. And that's a big problem in our world today. Do you think AI could potentially help break that mold or add more fuel to the fire? Because we're seeing with some of these AI systems, depending on what they're trained in, mm. I think the best example is AI hiring and firing people based on certain biases. What are your thoughts? Oh, on yeah. We're at the very early stages. So I think it's important to recognize, hey, we shouldn't just throw our hands up in the air and just let the tech companies take over. 
would you be an advocate for certain policy I, to make sure that this heads in the right direction? Well, I'd love that. Yeah. I think that both are true. We, it can help us and then it can hurt us. They just did a thing where they showed they had AI tell us what would be the worst case scenario with AI. And I think it's already happening. The worst, worst case for AI is that we're being programmed without us knowing we're being programmed. And so when you look at all the algorithms that are on social media and all the algorithms that are on our smartphones and all the algorithms that are on TV now, they're using those to manipulate us without knowing we're being manipulated. When we can just have a conversation about, I'm out here on my property right now, so I'm looking for a, a zero-turn lawnmower, and I was just talking to my son about it. Well, now when I go into Amazon or anywhere else on the internet, I'm getting bombarded by zero-turn lawnmowers. And I never told Google anything. I didn't say, Google, please help me find these zero-turn lawnmowers. So even though they say they're not listening, they're listening. Because how would they know the wake-up word if they're not listening? So I think no one's going to escape that unless you live in a Faraday cage. So the thing is that we need to, just like biohacking, People know in biohacking, you're not going to get all your nutrients from the food at the grocery store. So you're not going to get all your knowledge from social media or even from the TV. We need to, again, start thinking differently, getting around people that think differently and expanding. If you have one view, always do some research on the opposite view. It used to be there was counterpoint on the news. Now it's just point. There's no counterpoint. We never learn about the other side of the coin. And I think that's what makes us as humans so flexible and so expandable as far as consciousness goes, because we're always looking outside ourselves. But now they've got us so tuned in, or I should say some people that aren't doing that. You have to unplug for a while, get out in nature, drowned, because the reality is that this sun we have is actually a pulse star that is pulsing information to every cell of our body every second of every minute of every hour of every day. And that sun has our future written in it. I mean, because think about moving through the reality is we're stardust and we were there at the beginning of the Big Bang. And so there's bigger plans for us than just buying more ads on Facebook or following the trends. And I think that we need to, but of course, the money, most people are following the money. They're following that. And I think that and it's not a bad thing. I mean, business needs to thrive for us to survive in our, our current reality. So it's not a bad thing. It's just know that that's happening and don't get upset about it. It's the way it is and go with the flow. I think <clears throat> I would not want to go back. And I love what uh, AI is doing right now. And I don't know if we're ever going to be able to control it. I think the cat's already out of the bag. So people can write books about it and do whatever they need to either get on board or get run over. The, the old thing is you're not going to fight this machine. It's, it's already happening. And I think it's going to do a lot for a global economy. I mean, they have technology out there that I'm being exposed to because of the property that I'm building. There's a lot of free energy now that AI is helping to manage that, those energy resources. So I think we have to look at the positive and focus our energy on that. And I think that there's enough of us out there that are looking for the positive that we're going to run over these negative people because negative never lasts. Negative people yeah. implode. Greed, fear, anxiety, depression, that always follows those greed mongers. And eventually they're going to fall. In optimism, positive thinking, that's how we're designed. We're hardwired to have joy and happiness in our life. It's just, but if we get fear 
and anxiety and depression, which are those lower frequencies, then they'll disrail us. One thing interesting, the deeper I dive into the AI rabbit hole is that I'm looking at both the optimist perspective, which is typically my disposition, and then obviously the doomsdayer. And the more I look at all of the different use cases, both positive and negative, it's almost as it seems that there is no advantageous position of always being an optimist when, for example, only a couple of months ago, my neighbor's autistic nephew, someone used AI to clone his voice, then try and scam his parents out of tens of thousands of dollars. So for me, these are just conversations I'm having and I'm starting to see these examples pop up. I mean, this year alone will save over $100,000 on employee costs due to AI. So I think there's a positive, but I can also see this is going to instill a lot of fear in people that I... I don't necessarily think they should be shamed for, and we're almost seeing some tech experts kind of using the term Luddite to shame what is a, a typical human response. If your job is on the line, you're going to respond in a certain way, or if your business could get taken out, looking at a lot of, especially the legal industry right now. So what would you say to those individuals in terms of what, psychological tools or mental frameworks do they need right now to be able to put a framework around it? Because the only framework we've ever had in relationship to AI has typically been sci-fi movies. So it's pretty normal to react the way that we're reacting if that's our only framework. So what new frameworks would you recommend? And you may not have even thought about this yet. I'm not sure. Right. Well, I I think that we're going to see major advancements in every area of health with AI's health. When you think about even what Elon Musk has done with his space program, he's putting rockets out into space and bringing them back. Whether you believe there's another space program or not, that's pretty incredible that he's doing that. And he's doing that really with AI because people can't think that fast. There are certain things that we just have to have. And with healing, there's going to be technology, like even looking at, these devices that they have out there, we're going to have like where people can walk with the help of AI, where it's going to be a spinal implant. And I think so, some people are going, wow, I know people that don't even have cell phones, believe it or not. They, they think that they're the devil or whatever, but they have guns. And I'm not against guns either. I'm part of the NRA, but the um, thing is that there's good and bad for everything. You could have a gun and do really bad things with it. You can have a gun that can get food for your family if you need it or protect you if that's what's necessary. That's what I think most people are forgetting. There is no one size fits all in this arena because you're never gonna win. Pretty soon it's gonna be, when you're with your family, you can't talk about religions, you can't talk about politics, and you can't talk about AI. I think that's what's gonna, no, it's gonna <laughs> I feel like everyone's talking about all of those things all at once right now. <laughs> yeah, pretty soon. Yeah, and I think because the reason they say you shouldn't talk about those with family is there's no winning. I mean, it doesn't matter who you support, but I think the deep fakes like you're talking about, I think that's happening a lot more with high-profile people than we even know. I mean, because they can get the sound now so easily. In fact, at BrainTap, we're actually looking at that because people want to have their own BrainTap sessions with their own voice, and we can put my algorithm into an AI where I would interpret what they want to do and I could have a personalized session. Now, if I mix that on a personal level, it can take me up to an hour to mix that session. 
AI can do it in less than 15 seconds. And so it's like, why wouldn't I want to use that and give a better value to my BrainTap users? And then they can have their own voice. And if they want my voice for their words, there's going to actually be my voice in there if they want that. Or they can pick out any of the other voices that have given us permission to use. Because uh, now that's so easy. And a lot of people think of it as like, this is a bad thing. But I think our future is much brighter than people think as far as being positive, because again, a lot of the things, AI is gonna help us solve the problems we have in this world. Like number one, the reality is that we're not overpopulated. We could put every person on earth in the state of Texas and have more room than they have in Japan. Put that into your mind and think about it. It's a mismanagement of our resources. And the problem is that we have greed mongers that are managing our resources. When you go to Chick-fil-A, for instance, which everybody thinks is such a great place, they are one of the biggest polluters on the planet because no matter if you eat inside of their facility or you get it to go, you get styrofoam and a bunch of crap. So is it really a Christian-based organization? I don't think so because why wouldn't they take care of the planet? I mean, they are wasting, and that's just one junk food facility. One of the things I looked at, like AI manages, it's a shipping container that you can get delivered to your place like we have here. It costs about $10,000. It has grew lights, it has AI, and it manages your growing cycles for three seasons. And you can make up to $60,000 a month selling your vegetables to local restaurants. And you can have it for your own community. Now that's a shipping container that can feed up to 200 people. So imagine, we have the technology, so people are looking in all the wrong places. I mean, sci-fi is fun, but it's also can be scary. Look at Stephen King or whatever, where he's writing all these novels. People are reading these crazy novels that are just scaring the pants off them, but they can't get enough because they're addicted to the fear. But is, can fear be enjoyed in moderate doses without providing a negative outcome? Because I've got to admit, I'm the first one to love horror movies, love horror movies, but I also meditate three day, three times a day. But can well, we, it's like can anything. we enjoy those in doses? Oh yeah. The one thing I don't think people should listen to before they go to bed. Uh, they should have a couple hours before that. The main reason is the subconscious likes to use that last piece of information. Like if you're like me, you fall asleep on the couch and you're watching a war movie and pretty soon you're in the war, but your brain's trying to figure it out because it doesn't know the difference between real or imagined. But if you're just enjoying it for pure, there is always mindless entertainment. That's great. That takes, you want to, that's what I'm saying. Break it up a little bit, break up what you're doing. So the brain doesn't get locked into these patterns. And of course, fear is a great motivator. I have to ask you a question. One thing that I've noticed because I've been working on this book and I'm in chapter nine, I feel like I'm almost in a state of hypnosis every single day. And there's a point that I get to where I feel like I want to get out of it. Is that kind of an unhealthy thing to be doing even that too much? Well, there's a saying when you're so heavenly proud, you're no earthly good. So the main thing is doing whatever you're doing in moderation, because unless you're a guru living on a mountaintop and that's all you do all day and that's your career, I choose to go to sleep around 10 o'clock at night so I can get up early enough to do all my personal care in the morning. Get up at five or six in the morning and do my two hours of what I want to do. 
But if I could, I would do that all day. I would just stay in my biohacking lab and just go from one thing to the next and the next to the next. But I think that eventually you're not going to get a return on that investment of time. We're social beings. So whatever we do, we need to, uh, I believe that in order to get fulfillment in this world, and this is just my personal belief, there's no evidence that backs it, but I think that whatever you're going through, whatever you make it through, you went through that dark night of the soul so that you could train, motivate, and uh, keep other people from making those same mistakes. So because we're all in this together, there's no, we, we found out over the last three years that isolating ourselves is not good. I mean, right. look, the suicide rates are not going down, they're going up. And part of it is because we're not socializing as much as we should. And I mean, with the propaganda now saying that our son is not even healthy. Well, we wouldn't even be here without our son. So it's not that the son isn't healthy. It's just the exposure to the sun and the right times to be exposed to it and things like that. Just using that as one example. Before we continue, Beyond Unstoppable is brought to you by Ben Angel's new book, the Wolf is at the Door, How to Survive and Thrive in an AI-Driven World. Get your exclusive sneak peek and pre-order at thewolfbookhub.com. Now, back to the show. Do you think we can become too obsessed with this? Because in the last few years, I mean, we talk about the media's negative effects on our mental state, but we've also seen health professionals go hardcore, like do not eat a banana, don't eat a mango, there's too much sugar, like there's all of these different things that, and I'm meeting younger generations now that are almost paranoid about everything. And instead of finding that balance, do you think that some in the health industry have gone too far recently? Yeah. I mean, look at Steve Jobs. He died of pancreatic cancer. And when the, the guy was playing, can't remember his name, Kusher or whatever, he was playing his role for the movie. So he started to eat like him. He started to develop pancreatic cancer. Now, Steve Jobs was a fruitarian, so you'd think that would be healthy, but it isn't. If you think, we used to only have fruits when they were in season. Now we can go to the grocery store any time of the year, we can get fruits. And so I think that it's all about, if we just went back to what we were doing in the 40s and 50s, as far as food was concerned, we probably wouldn't be a weight problem. But with manufacturing foods and additives, and then people go, all sugar is bad. Well, we need sugar too. But I think some people, because their body's out of regulation, they just have one mango, like you're saying, and all of a sudden sugar spikes and they can't function. You know, I, I think everything's in moderation again. The, most people don't realize the best thing you can do for your health, if you don't do anything else, is just eat less. Most people eat too much. And it's not about, are you eating too much mangoes? I mean, I love it when people take something that's totally natural and start saying it's bad for you. Like even kale, which we all have a good buddy that talks about kale being bad. Well, that's because you didn't prepare it correctly. If you prepare correctly, it's perfectly healthy and natural, but everybody's always looking for a reason to stun people or to shock them, their social media posts or their reads. And I'm not saying that everybody should be a fruit. I don't think anybody should be a fruitarian. I don't think anybody should be a vegetarian actually, because I've not seen too many, and this might ruffle some feathers out there, but I haven't seen too many healthy vegetarians. And they love to say, well, look at the gorillas, they're vegetarians. Well, they don't live in a city and they don't do the things that we do. We have to eat, we have to engineer our meals and our work life and our play life to our environment. And I think that we're evolving. We're not going backwards. Nobody's going to get rid of their cell phones tomorrow. Nobody's going to get rid of their 500 channels of television 
or their motorized cars, their electric cars and things like that. I think technology and AI is going to help us solve those problems. I mean, they say that if a, if a space-faring civilization came to Earth today, we would be barbarians. We wouldn't be on their scale of evolution because we don't even use 1% of the energy that hits our planet. So if we are really going to evolve as a species, we need to stop burning, stop polluting our planet and start using the free energy. And they actually have these grow machines that almost look like Star Trek where they're growing things out of the air instead of planting them in the soil and things like that. So we're in the brink of seeing something absolutely phenomenal happen. As long as we stay on track and we stay positive and we don't go negative and start warring over this new AI. Some people are going to use AI to try to control us and, you know, like with this credit score stuff and things like that, social credit scores. And so the thing is that you just have to either play into it or play against it. And I'm going to play into the joy and the the health and the happiness. I'm going to, I'm going to buck as hard as I can against all the negative stuff. So let me ask you a question. If someone was to use the AI to train on all of your materials and reproduce a book based on everything that you'd learned, would you be okay with that? Oh, yeah. I think that we need to, I mean, there's a lot of wisdom out there in the world. Right now, unfortunately, our society does not really value the wisdom of the everyday people. Like if we went to the, if you and I went and visited one of these assisted living facilities, I guarantee you, we would walk out of there with enough information to write an encyclopedia of wonderful wisdom, but it's not being captured, saved, categorized, organized, so it can be utilized. That's the key, right? So the problem is it's all decentralized. So I think what AI is going to do is start centralizing the wisdom of the planet as we start doing it. And we're going to have a super state where... Like today, I mean, when I look at my grandchildren going to school and they didn't learn cursive, but I'm thinking, why do they need to learn cursive? I think it's a good thing to learn. I mean, I hardly write in cursive anymore. And, and if I do write notes, I have a notepad that translates it into digital. <laughs> so I, here we go. But, it, but doesn't an activity like that help with neuroplasticity though? Because there's certain things with AI. Because obviously <laughs> when you're talking about the assisted living facilities, we can... There's now digital necromancy that we can do with AI and bring a loved one back to life, which I'm not sure if I'm mm-hmm. for that because you could start the grieving process all over again. But aren't some of those traditional things that we used to do good for neuroplasticity that will help us to adapt in the coming years? I think if our schools were to change and teach us how to write with both hands, okay. I would be truly on board with that. Everything our school does is to polarize us into being either right-handed or left-handed. And really that shuts down our creativity function in the brain and our logical function because now it puts them at war. In fact, there's evidence that shows that schools are what causes us to lose our photographic memory. Every child is born with photographic memory. When you learned a language, you didn't sit down with a book and, and learn that language. You absorb that language. And I just always use the example of my my science officer. We were in India for three weeks on a tour of the universities talking about light, sound, and vibration and that. And by the end of the third week, he's speaking Hindi. And I said, Francisco, when did you learn Hindi? He said, well, we've been here for three weeks, but he knows six languages. So his brain is actually hardwired to learn language. Some people have that propensity right there. They're basically, they can learn languages very quickly where if you shut down that circuit in your brain, 
I think hopefully what's going to happen in it's my kind of fantasy, I guess you'd say, is that this AI thing is going to free us up to have more spiritual pursuits and to create a life for people to have more abundance. The problem is how do we balance out this greed factor that we have or that we need so much money to pay for our rent and buy our cars and we need a new car every four years or whatever. And we need new clothes every time. I mean, when I, if you read in the history of people before in the 1800s, if they had one suit, they were considered rich. So most people have a lot of clothes, right? And a lot of things that, in fact, we build storage centers all over the planet to store all the stuff that we don't want to get rid of that we've gathered around ourselves. And I think that there's a lot wrong with what we're doing. And I think that if we stay the course and, and keep in terms of having gratitude and compassion and not giving people freebies, I think that that's the worst thing for the human spirit is to just give the people away, give things to people. There's something, even like birthing, for instance, if a baby is not born through the birth channel, they do not turn off their primitive reflexes. And as a neurological expert in working with a lot of the therapists out there, that's the reason we have all the problems we have today is doctors are now scheduling births instead of letting the baby come at the time when the baby's ready and the, and the mother's ready. Because as we go through that birth channel, that stress, that challenge to the nervous system is actually what models their neuroplasticity from the very beginning. If they don't get that challenge, if they don't get that stress, then there's problems down the road. In Feldenkrais, who's a, it's a, a process, he would do something called cross crawl or have you go back in time and kind of act like you're being reborn again and things like that, because those are all things that we need. And they seem spooky to us, but I, I don't think we're ever going to be decanting babies out of jars and uh, like you see in sci-fi movies and having the same thing, unless there's a way we can trigger these primitive reflexes and get our neurological system on board because our brain does not function well if we don't go through the natural birthing process. We have to then go back and they'll go to these, especially these neurologically based chiropractors that can trigger these primitive reflexes and get the body to then transform and start to evolve the way it's designed to. But can you actually do that later in life or can typical trauma cause that? Well, trauma can actually re-trigger primitive reflexes. For sure, if you've ever known anybody that had a trauma and then now they have their, there's a reflex we have. Like if you've ever been driving with somebody and every time you put on the brakes or get close to somebody, they're going, they're always freaking out. That's a primitive reflex problem because they're not able to process. And so you can disengage that, but trauma can, like PTSD, these, it doesn't have to be military. I mean, just what happened three years ago could be enough PTSD for a lot of people. If you were sequestered in your own home, you didn't see your family and, and people you knew were dying, that trigger those kind of primitive reflexes to shut down. Because that's why people, when they get really in a bad situation, they'll go back into the fetal position. Because that's basically the body just reverting back to its primitive self. And what's occurring in the brain when we experience trauma, for example, one thing that I've been interested in the last few weeks is what brain frequencies are we in when we're in a high state of anxiety? Is that a high gamma? Would that be correct? No, you'd be between 20 and 40 hertz frequency. Typically that's high beta, which you never hardly go to. It's almost like an uncharted area of the brain that most people don't operate in those, that, that 20 to 40 is almost like the desert 
for the brain. Very few people operate in that range. But when we have a heightened state of trauma, the body will imprint. And the main reason it does that is the body, it's basically we're designed to stay alive. So it's looking at things that harm us. And it doesn't know the difference between physical harm and emotional harm or psychological harm. It just knows that it's harm. And the brain will start to shut down and basically turn off all those creativity circuits and all those expanded consciousness circuits and even past memory circuits. That's why people go, I knew better. Why did I do this? Well, those circuits were shut down. You were literally locked out of that program that was encoded into your biological system because mainly, a lot of people don't know if you get addicted to dopamine, it's not an end result. Dopamine never gives you a solution. Dopamine is an adjective. So it's designed to get you to do something, but it doesn't have a reward. There's no reward with dopamine. That's why people get addicted to things. So in the brain, and then what it does, it causes neoprenephrine and cortisol. Those actually shrink your hippocampus. So, and that means it restricts blood flow and circulation. But if you could slow down during that time, that's why breath work is so important. All of these negative emotional states, they all have that one thing in common, lack of breath. Because you cannot, the brain cannot stay in these excited states, these hyper states of vigilance and breathe. That's why the Navy SEALs do box breathing while they're going out on deployment. You have to liberate the brain, but if you hold your breath, the brain will spiral out of control like crazy. And it'll basically, we can hallucinate. I mean, there are so many things that can happen at that level of the mind that aren't real, but they're real to the person experiencing it because everything we perceive, hear, experience, those aren't happening outside of us at the time of perception. They're happening inside of us at the time of perception. So that's why when they say the brain or the subconscious doesn't know the difference between real or imagined. So when you think about this prolonged effect, the brain starts to pattern reality after that. And we all have blind spots. So we start to create blind spots. If you meet somebody who's been jaded by relationships, and then they say, all men are X or all women are X, they start to use that kind of language. Then the brain starts to pattern reality after those thoughts because the thoughts precede the action. And so we have to have the thought first, then the action. So the thought sets that up. Now, when we get an emotional charge, like a negative charge, especially, and the amygdala gets hijacked, who's thinking the thought? It's not your conscious mind. It's not your reasoning mind. It's that reactionary mind that says, we need to survive. We're not safe anymore. And then that's a bad state to be in. That's where anxiety escalates and fear, then depression, and then bad things happen. It's interesting with social media, especially around dopamine. One thing I observed in myself, I'm a constant observer. I'll just observe my emotions without placing any kind of name to it to see how I'm ebbing and flowing. But one thing I observed as I was researching AI more and more, I noticed that to remain calm because the updates are hitting multiple times a day, every single day. I did have to elevate myself to meditating three times a day to have those certain breaks. Are you concerned that the current state we are in, in terms of we're so hooked into social media, are you concerned that 
we're not doing enough to educate our youth on uh, the implications of social media and the neurochemistry involved in that. Right. I mean, we have a group that actually I'm working with to use HRV. If you saw what happens to someone's brain when they get into social media or computer games, now, if it's positive, if they're having a good time, that's fine. But if you start, like, if we have people that look at negative posts and how you react and how that upsets the, the mindset, and then when you play single shooter games and things like that, their brain looks like they're on crack cocaine. It's like, it's terrible. So what we're looking at, and there's a group that I'm with that wants to use our algorithms that says once the heart rate goes down, let's say by 20 points, which only takes about an hour, then the computer actually shuts down and they would have to do a brain tap session. And this is something we're creating through brain tap so that a parent can put it on for their children. Because I'm not against computer games. I'm just against, just like scary movies. If you want to watch them, that's fine. But you should know what that's doing to your neurological system. And then when you're done, you need to kickstart it back. Like you're doing the meditations and things where that's offsetting it. So now you're getting the two extremes. And that's what I'm saying. It's exercising the brain. When we exercise our bodies, and there's a supreme, these elite athletes, and they push their bodies to the brink of breakdown. And then recovery is key there. If they don't recover, and the next time they do that, they'll just keep breaking down, they're breaking down, breaking down. That's what happens like with Tour de France. They need to have a way, because that's so severe and so challenging to the human body that they're always looking for ways. And that's why, like with BrainTap, we just partnered with TB12, which is Tom Brady's group. They're the ones going to the sports world because we need prehab. And that's what we call brain tap. You need to prehab before you do these things, not just rehab. Don't wait till the accident happens. And even in life, we don't need a breakdown to have a breakthrough. We should be looking for breakthroughs without the breakdown. So doubling back to something that we spoke about earlier is frequency. Now, it was the first time when I was in Manhattan, I was at the top of the Rockefeller Center where I noticed the hum of the air conditioning units. Tell us about what is the effect of urban noise on our brain frequency and how can we negate those negative effects? Well, the biggest thing you can do is get grounded. Even if that means grounding inside of your apartment or your home or your building, I'm out in nature right now. But if I was at home, I have a grounding mat that I stand on all the time because that hum, if you're hearing that hum, that's actually a 60 hertz hum. That's 10 hertz. So that means it's alpha. So a lot of times those put you into a kind of an altered state when you're listening to them. Now, if it's dirty power, which unfortunately happens all the time, like if you had a volt ohm meter, for anybody out there wondering, gosh, do I have dirty power? Get a volt ohm meter. They're not very much money, $20 at Lowe's or one of these stores, and put it on volt ohm and measure your voltage in your house, yourself. Put it in your right hand and in your left hand. Most people are running around with three to five volts of energy moving through their system. We should be zero. We, we should be zero point energy. And then take that same volt ohm meter, walk outside barefoot in the grass. You'll notice instantly all of that voltage is grounded into the earth. That's what's happening in urban America. The average person, when we scan them at conferences, is between three and five volts. Even a half a volt of energy in your system is causing interference at the cellular level, which means you're epigenetically being altered by that frequency. 
but there are solutions for that. There is also a lot of things you can wear, but you need to test them. If it doesn't put you to zero point energy, it's not really grounding you. It doesn't matter what they say, what level of frequency it's doing, whatever. And I've seen a lot of wannabe technologies. They might work for them in the lab, but they don't work in reality. So if it doesn't measure on your physiology, because we are energy, our National Institute of Health now says that we have a biosphere. So it used to be that was woo-woo and metaphysical and nobody could talk about it. But now scientists are talking about it because this urban sprawl and what you're talking about, the energy of that's affecting our biosphere. And so we need to be very protective of what goes into our energy field. And it's not a metaphysical concept anymore. It's not the devil. It's reality. We are energy. So our cellular, even our cells of our body are energy. What does that extra energy having in the body do to our brain frequency? Has that been studied? Well, I don't know if it's specifically been studied like that, but we've been doing our own little study and we've scanned about 30,000 brains over the last 10 years. And what we're seeing is that most people are running around with over 60% of their brain in Delta, meaning that their brain wants to go to sleep and that's what's going to happen. So if you think about the masses being asleep, they might not be asleep, but their brain certainly wants to be asleep, which means now you're hyper-suggestible meaning that you can be manipulated very easily just by walking around, letting them control your frequency. And that's what they're doing. With the Delta is because obviously when the brain goes into Delta, the BWRS activates, so the brain waste removal system. Is that indicative of how we're not just the energy that we've been exposed to, but also our diet and the stress of everyday life? It's trying to actively recover during the day as well. Yeah, what we find is that's really a sign of inflammation. So it's all of those things, and inflammation being the root cause. So the body is saying, let's shut down and repair. And people are saying, no, let's do coffee, chocolate, and tea, (laughs) or whatever the stimulant is. And they just keep stimulating. And I love it when I see people and I say, on a scale between 1 and 10, how would you rate your health? And they put 10, and then they're on 17 different pharmaceutical drugs. And I'll say, you said 10, but you're on these drugs. They go, oh, yeah, that's why I'm a 10. No, these are not helping you. They're basically covering up the symptoms. They're not the solution. Because anything they tell you, you got to take this forever, that isn't natural. Like, we need air forever. We need protein forever. We, we need, th- these are not, we don't need pharmaceutical drugs forever. They're supposed to be short-term solutions to biological problems. But what happens is they become biological. There becomes a biological need that never stops. Now, I want to talk about the background. You're in an amazing location right now, and you're working on an exciting project. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, when you see out here, we are very fortunate. 20 miles from my office, we saw online, we were always looking for some riverfront just for ourselves. And this property, 88 acres, became available. And I told my wife, wow. And the cost was like what we paid for our house in San Francisco. (laughs) So, I mean, it's like, wow. It's crazy what you can buy here in North Carolina. But our plan is to build a sustainable community here for healing and health that will have zero radiation. It will have zero carbon footprint because we're going to use all of the latest and greatest technologies. And believe me, since I've owned this property for three months even, What I have seen out there in the world can solve 
every one of our problems that we have on earth. The, the, the biggest issue we have is that once you have them, there's no money to be made. So we have to create a whole new currency on this planet. And the first currency we have to change is our currency of thought, that it is possible, that we can do it. And I think that the biggest currency we all have that most people don't talk about is our ATP, our own cellular system, you know, our energy system. And I think that I want to have a place where people can come rejuvenate physically, mentally, emotionally, and even spiritually out here because it's going to be a grounded community. It's going to be a five-star resort, but it's going to be basically... I wanted to be Star Trek. Like if you were to go to another planet to heal your body, that's what they're going to talk about. And we're calling it Mystic Pine Sanctuary right now, just as a, a place on the map. But we don't know what it's going to turn out to be, but I'm looking for all, if you're listening to this and you have a technology you think needs to be here, please reach out to me because I want to have the latest and greatest. And I'm not married to anything we have. I want the best of the best. And I want to provide a space where those people that really want to health optimization can come and then take those things back home with them because just having it here in North Carolina is one thing, but we need this all over the planet. We need to have energy centers where people realize that outside of, I mean, of course, if somebody gets injured here, we're going to take them to the hospital. We're not going to do that kind of work. We're not going to have sick care here. So sick care, they can go into the hospital, but if they want health care and they want to rejuvenate their body, that's what I want to have here. And how can people find out about you? Well, if they go to my social media at E.R. Patrick Porter. That's probably best. They can also go to my website, porter.com, and that has all the links, and they can learn all about it. They can follow me on social media. We're actually doing a documentary as well called War on the Brain, and we shot the footage out here because we're going to show the evolution because I think that the war, there's no war being fought outside of the, the mind of man. So we need to work on our inner space so this external environment we live in is more peaceful and more harmonious and has more compassion and creates more vitality for everyone. Beautiful. Dr. Porter, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks so much for coming on. Learn more about Dr. Porter at drpatrickporter.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Beyond Unstoppable and visit thewolfbookhub.com for your exclusive sneak peek of The Wolf is at the Door. And stay tuned for next week's episode.